right. Welcome back to the MVP podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, Mr. Bob Lynch, who is the president and founder of Sponsor United, someone that I've uh, had the pleasure of being able to work with over the last few months. Uh, For those of you in sports sponsorship that are unaware of Sponsor United, uh, it is a platform that provides access to in-depth information on sponsorships to help properties and brands most efficiently connect with the right contacts. Bob, thanks for having, or thanks for joining us today. Uh, you, thanks for being on my show. Uh, yeah, of course. It's the uh, the Bob Lynch podcast. So, how are you? Thank thanks you so you much. Thanks. Uh, I'm doing well. I uh, appreciate you having me on, and uh, looking forward to uh, to talking with you. And, and yeah, appreciate the partnership and getting to know you more. Yeah, absolutely. So what we like to do, I mean, I think you're a a unique uh, circumstance here in that you're uh, not only a entrepreneur, but also, um, you know, providing a service that that we utilize and the the, our general audience and listeners are are probably very familiar with your platform. So, you know, the type of guests that we generally have on our our show ranges from, um, you know, uh, executives within an organization and or uh, any, any type of startup or entrepreneurial story. So uh, it's it's pretty unique that we, we get to do that here <laughs> inclusively with the two of us. And so uh, what I always find fascinating is everyone has a story, everyone has a start. And, um, you know, some people maybe, um, you know, from an entrepreneurial standpoint felt that they always knew that that's what the direction that they wanted to go into in their career. Uh, some people navigate it throughout their career and, and, and kind of have that aha moment. So I would love to hear a little bit more about your background um, and essentially what led you to starting Sponsor United. Well, when I was in sixth or seventh grade, I used to sell magazine posters of like Michael Jordan for 25 cents out of my locker. And then I realized that I could get cans of soda and sell them during uh, lunchtime at the cafeteria and undercut my cafeteria, <laughs> which then changed to bottles. And I was literally carrying those those little, uh, I think they're Playmate uh, coolers to school with me, <laughs> literally lugging it around and uh, opening shop. And then selling lollipops uh, in the uh, courtyard during recess um, as well, until my principal finally shut it down, <laughs> wondering, like, what was I doing? And uh, I was cutting into their profits, I guess. So I think, uh, you know, from an early age, I, I did think about entrepreneurism and, uh, uh, you know, I probably should have maybe further pursued that, but that kind of stopped me in my tracks for a while. Um, but I did think about it for a long time before I, I sort of took the leap. Um, and I think that's probably the, the most challenging thing for me was, um, you know, when you work for different companies, you get comfortable, you get um, really familiar with kind of with what you're doing and to kind of take that leap of faith, especially as you get sort of further into your career, uh, it becomes a little bit scary to do that, especially if you have a wife and kids and mortgages and, you know, things like that, and, and maybe a little bit of a knock to the ego because you've got to kind of start all over again, um, right from the very sure. bottom. Um, but, um, but I, I do love the challenge and I, I just like the idea of being able to, um, sort of reinvent yourself or maybe kind of challenge yourself. I feel like in some cases, um, you know, your career can plateau in terms of your learning and and how you're continuing to grow. And, And I like the idea of sort of challenging myself and, um, you know, seeing if there were new things that I could learn and develop into. So it's been a, a fun and, and scary process all at the same time. I call it jogging along a cliff. Um, it's amazing until you slip off. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but that's sort of where that, where that started from. And, and I think um, I started to kind of see some trends and some things in the industry 
that I thought, um, you know, could be addressed some, some problems, some things that I think a lot of us sort of go through that, um, I had noticed early on and kind of just made note of, and, and after a while, uh, just felt like this is something that, you know, the industry can improve and I can help to do that. And that's, that's sort of where things started from. Okay. Yeah. I can uh, totally relate to what you were saying about the, uh, the journey, right. And navigating life. I always say that I feel like I've, I've lived two lives, right. There's one before MVP and the one <laughs> currently in MVP and they're totally different lives. And so I can, I, I can certainly relate. Um, but at least in terms of my journey, it sounds like your situation is very similar in that you were in an environment and or an industry that allowed you to, uh, navigate into this essential idea. And so as way of background, I understand that you had worked for a couple of sports properties, whether it's the Miami Dolphins or uh, the Brooklyn Nets, I believe. Um, so why don't you talk to us a little bit about your roles there and you know what were some of the challenges or, or what opportunity you saw that led you to Sponsor United? And again, if, if I did a disservice to the description of Sponsor United, please elaborate on that. No, you, you did an excellent job. Um, so right before I got onto the team side, I would say as, as you've had sort of the, the, the pre-MVP and the post or the current MVP, I've had the, um, I, I would say probably three careers, media, sponsorship, team side, and then, and then sort of technology data. And prior to um, coming to the NFL, the Miami Dolphins in 2010, I had worked at uh, iHeartMedia, which was Clear Channel at the time. And in 2008, they were acquired uh, by Bain Capital um, in, a, in a, I think it was like a $28 billion acquisition. After that took place, they had brought in Bain Consulting um, to look at all of these 850 radio stations and sort of, a, you know, how do we create efficiencies of scale um, and understand sort of, you know, where they can consolidate maybe their programming and save money, but also distribute out higher quality content. And fortunately for me, I was invited into um, to the they had a vertical on the automotive category uh, to look at how they could sort of you know serve that market more effectively. And so for about a year, I was fortunate to be a part of a group, including Bain Consulting, to look at best practices, analyze, you know, pricing and, and different things like that. And it was a bit of, it was kind of like getting a mini MBA, to be honest with you, learning from them in that experience. And a year, year and a half later, when I found myself um, uh, at the Miami Dolphins, I had remembered those sort of, you know, looking at those 850 radio stations and thinking about the 32 NFL teams and how they sort of went to market individually pricing was not consistent across the board. The assets that are bought and sold um, are obviously dictated by the team and what they control, whether it's their venue or their media rights or whatever it might be. And we found ourselves in these um, discussions, oftentimes with brands, especially outside of Miami, that we were looking to sell on the vision of using Miami as a, as a launching point to obviously sort of gain access into the Americas. And it was a you know, it's, it's a very unique and compelling market in and of itself, but the general feedback that we would get from some of these brands that were, we were trying to get to commit and invest in, in the Miami Dolphins and that market was, um, it's challenging for us to do a one market buy. Um, if you're a larger brand, you typically will launch that in, in several markets. Um, and even if they were able to sort of launch in, in that market and other markets, there's really a challenge in terms of the consistency of what they're seeing team to team or league from league, 
Um, it was sort of all over the place. And that's what got me started to think about how there were parallels in the challenges that uh, traditional media companies have gone through with consolidation and what's taking place within the traditional sports sponsorship space from the brand's perspective, but also from the sell side, the teams, in that if, if you're in a, a market, let's say it's not a New York or an LA, but a mid to small market that can only serve, let's say a 75 mile radius, it becomes really challenging to get a brand to invest individually in that market that's, that's national, international, unless you have an international footprint. Um, now you do in things like Jersey patches and, and other things like that, if they're not based in that market or if that market is not such a key market for them to sort of put their eggs in that basket. And so that's where I started to look at sort of the challenges on, on both sides of the equation and also just generally a lack of data and information and connectivity um, that exists. There's, there's amazing resources uh, at the NFL uh, league level, the NBA league level, having been um, at the Nets um, from Teambo and the data that's out there, but it's, it's usually um, focused on just that particular league. And that's a very small set of information for people to make decisions on how should we approach this category? How, we, how should we approach this um, piece of inventory that we need to monetize? And so I started to look at how could you sort of look at data at scale, uh, best practices from other teams and leagues and use that information to be smarter and more efficient with your time. And really for the entire industry, how could we improve and sort of lift the game of the entire industry um, at the same time? Wonderful. And, and so for, for those listeners that aren't necessarily in our world per se, how would you best describe the platform in the value that it, you know, the exchange of information that is there? How, how would you say uh, to someone outside of the industry uh, that in, in relative terms that they could understand in, in, in knowing like the real resource that it is in the, in the sponsorship world? Well, I'll tell you, when I was first starting out, that was like the hardest thing to do to try to describe what we did, especially when we didn't have a company. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, investor pitches, don't you love those? You know, you've got three minutes, five minutes to go for it. <laughs> yeah. When you're telling your close network, here's what you're going to do. And you're trying to describe something that's not even fully completed yet. And they're like, OK, uh, sounds uh, that's interesting. Cool. Good luck. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that, that, that was hard. Um, we are we're almost like the Google for sponsorships. It's really taking all data, contacts, the types of deals that are taking place, the activations, what brands participate, what do teams sell, social media, creative, um, competitive analysis, industry insights, um, every piece of relevant information and sponsorship, sort of the last bastion of like offline data, like not really accessible information in the space. I think it, it makes it both challenging and, and really an interesting space to be in. But we sort of lift the veil and capture all of that information and consolidate it in one platform um, so that people can easily get what they need. Um, it's not like a dumping ground of information though. The, the information is um, extremely comprehensive and large. We actually take that information and organize it in ways that people can use it however they need it. So it's really um, kind of democratized the industry a bit because if I work in business development and I need to find the, con the key contact at a particular company, um, I can find that within the system. We have 110,000 company profiles in our system. You can see who's buying media, the marketing director, who's, who's handling sponsorships, all of that. 
if I need to discover or look for brands that are starting to enter the space or starting to enter my market or that I should be talking to, you can easily sort of find that piece of information as well. If I'm about to walk into uh, potentially put together a partnership or maybe renew a deal, um, I can see what my brand partners buy elsewhere. What, are their, what does their asset mix look like? So what's traditionally been done through the discovery process of sitting down with a partner and saying, hey, tell me about your strategy, tell me what you do, or doing a lot of desktop research, which is really manually intensive to kind of Google search, what does this brand do in the space, which wow. is you know really only the tip of the iceberg. Most of these partnerships are fairly comprehensive and integrated across so many different assets that I think the normal, uh, the average person that's not in sponsorship, I think doesn't recognize the complexity of some of these partnerships. So we try, try to lift that veil and actually share that information in an easy way. So it kind of puts everybody on a level playing field in a lot of ways. Sure. Uh, now, so it's, you know, it's used for both business development, activation, marketers utilize it from a brand perspective. If you're in social media, you might want to see how other teams sell. What does their clutter look like? So we found kind of that there's so, and, and obviously even, you know, with organizations, agencies, companies such as yours that do very unique things in the space, it sort of serves different constituents in different ways. Sure. Yeah. And, and it's probably actually been a year to the date that we're on the platform. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll go ahead and talk about a little bit later on, on how we discovered the platform. But you had something you had said something pretty interesting in terms of how things were done prior. Take us back to the Stone Age, if you will, of corporate sponsorship. You here you are inside a, a, a team, a sports team. You're tasked with um, really acquiring, procuring, and understanding a particular or potential sponsor. So are you saying like the legwork that you had to put in was essentially just what was available on the internet or any type of brand guideline or brand message that you would have to curate yourself and then essentially pitch to that prospective sponsor or tell us a little, you know, the, the hard way of doing things and, and which exactly proves the value of what your platform does today. Yeah, we, we've oftentimes called, uh, called our platform like Moneyball for sponsorship, because I often think of, um, though it's such a sort of baseball term, but it's, it really relates to that, you know, scouts in, you know, in Moneyball sort of had their own systems of getting information and their own experience as well, wherever they came from. And, and they sort of would use that to, you know, help influence and make decisions and, um, and the traditional process for an individual has usually been, you know, prospecting is everything from, I'm going to watch the game tonight and see, you know, what dashboard signs are available, what commercials air. And, you know, I grew up in that space in the radio advertising where I'd have to monitor different radio stations just to find out who the advertisers were and kind of eating up a lot of time just to kind of do that manual work. And even within then you only know, well, they bought this sign and they work with this team. So maybe there's a good opportunity there. And then a lot of the manual work and, you know, to be a, you know, an effective business development person, you don't want to waste a marketer's time. So you want to be prepared walking into that meeting by doing research on that individual, sure. um, on, you know, what other partnerships do they have? So a lot of that is, is a mixture of maybe, you know, uh, desktop research, calling your, uh, your connections in other markets. Maybe if you have some of those to say, Hey, you know, what are they doing with you guys? And, you know, different leagues and major league baseball is really has effective groups that kind of 
share different ideas and best practices, mm -hmm. but it's a lot of manual work to sort of pull that information together. And then usually they'll maybe uh, unload that to an admin uh, who's probably sure. less than a year in the business is, has to do a lot of that work for maybe the business development person or the executive leadership. And they'll pull all that together. So there, I always felt like the, the bandwidth of, a, of, of business development is, is very limited. And a lot of that time was spent on stuff that actually didn't have anything to do with sales or, or partnerships. It had to do with research. And so the thought process behind it is if we can centralize a lot of this research and centralize what an admin at 32 teams does 32 times in a row, and maybe even over the course of the same 32 brands, um, we could centralize that and we can reuse that data. So if we track it, the cost of time uh, to research that is very high at an individual level, but we can centralize that, gather all the information, probably with a, with a well-trained group of people and technology. We use, a, we use a huge amount of technology to capture this information mm -hmm. in a more effective way. So the, you think about the cost, if you're spending five, 10% of your time doing this work, um, that's, that, that cost to you is, is um, probably not worth it. And so we kind of pull all that data in one place so that they're as prepared as they possibly could be. Oftentimes they'll know more about what that brand does and maybe even the brand, depending on how, you know, how big the brand is. I mean, there's some brands we track that have had seven, 800 partnerships this year wow. where it's all right there in that one place. So it's just really providing information immediately to someone in the easiest way possible so that they can use that to uh, create actionable uh, steps as well. Sure. And obviously finding the right people that they need to talk to. So they're not sort of, you know, trying to figure out and navigate who's who's even the people that are involved in these partnerships. Yeah, absolutely. And and for the colleagues that are essentially, let's say, uh, long in the tooth, as they say, in terms of uh, being seasoned veterans in corporate sponsorship, how many times have you heard, where the hell were you five years ago or 10 years ago? <laughs> I've heard that and I've heard a few people say they're, they're, they're very angry at me because they <laughs> wish they came up with the idea. But uh um, but yeah, you know, it's, I guess it's like anything else. Uh, you, you don't know what you need until you, you have it, um, as well. And so right, right. I think, um, you know, I think a lot of people have, have done it in their own way and, and some of them do an amazing job at, at aggregating information. But, you know, when you have technology and you have scale of people, we have, we have over 2,500 people we call scouts actually that are involved in data aggregation. And then we've built our own technology to, you know, scrape every single social media post across over 5,000 different teams, events, organize that, you know, so you can kind of see that information easily. So it's just impossible for the individual to ever, ever do that if, if you can do it right. Um, but it's a nice thing to hear when I hear it. Actually. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, talk about absolute market validation. And um, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, you're Success is, is is by no mistake in terms of how valuable the platform is, and so, you know, it's really funny though. I, you know, I, I'm not speaking for you, but I, I'd imagine ninety five percent of your user base are on the sports property side of things. Is that accurate? Or I mean, no, it's actually a lot less. It's probably about two thirds. Um, it was a hundred percent sports when we first started. Sure. When, when we launched the platform, uh, we we what we wanted to do is actually start in the hardest and most complex space, which was major professional sports in terms of the number of partnerships, the number of assets that could be involved in these deals. And so we sort of super focused on that space, knowing that as we scale into other environments, whether it's even down to traditional media or, um, or let's say 
minor league sports, the partnerships tend to get less complex because the dollars just are, are less. And so we knew that if we could figure it out in, in the most complex of spaces, as we scale down where there's more properties and more events and more things that take place, it's going to be, it's hard that you have to scale, but it's easier because the data actually becomes easier and easier to collect and sure. gather that information. Sure. So we started in sports, but we've rapidly sort of expanded into um, the, the, the music space is, is probably our biggest non-sports driver, everything from the Grammys, Emmys to, you know, AEGs of the world, those sort of organizations sure. that are really serving the um, more of the traditional um, advertising space has become a, a big area for ours as well. Because even in the traditional marketing space, these partnerships are becoming more creative, more integrated, more intellectual property rights and content that are being built around traditionally commoditized assets. And so while it, it did start in the sports space, it's, it's expanded well beyond that. Well, that, that's great to hear. And, and um, you know, I, I think maybe I my estimates were a little off based on our sort of timeline and when we connected, because I remember when we uh, it was simply I, I, I was thumbing through a sports business journal um, article and, and I and I read about the platform and I said, oh, that, you know, that sounds really interesting. And, you know, obviously being in that trade publication, you are speaking to executives and on, on the sports property side as well as the brand side. And I said, OK, well, this is a, a sponsorship tool for teams to kind of exchange information, learn about sponsorship and what have you. Let me check it out, because for someone, for a company like ours, where yes, we're a technology company that does a, a you know a wide range of experiential experiences, you know the core of our business has been enhancing the game day experience in sports properties, but navigating and finding the right contacts both from the brand side that may be willing to underwrite a program of ours versus who on the property side could actually, you know, broker a relationship to a particular brand was very difficult. And so we had, you know, talk about the Stone Ages. I mean, from a sales perspective, we've done everything possible from, you know, uh, doing the due diligence, trying to, you know, purchase lead lists or, you know, uh, going through trade publications, highlighting names and contacts. And so as an early stage company, uh, you know, with a vision and an idea that, you know, those are the things that you have to do. So whether it was intentional or not of coming across that article, I figured, you know, let me check out this platform to see what it does. And, um, I think, you know, you were gracious enough uh, to give us a, um, a trial period. And when I logged in, it was, you know, the Pulp Fiction brief briefcase scene, you know, where it just glows and, you know, like, what am I looking at? Because it was the exact set of information for an agency slash tech company like ours um, to find the resource of who we're speaking to, who we're selling to, and how valuable the, uh, our product is to the marketplace. And so um, it was finally the platform that, you know, really made the most sense for us. And I remember uh, when we connected and I, and I said, Bob, you know, here's what we do. Here's who we do it for. Can you see why this is valuable? And it, it was funny. You're like, you know, I never thought of it that way, but this is, I, and I hope that this opened up, you know, agency partnerships for you or some other uh, tangential companies outside of the sports and entertainment world from a, you know, rights holder perspective, but from an integration or vendor relationship, you know, I, 
opening up your user base to, um, to, to kind of share that information because it's, it's been tremendously valuable for us. Yeah, as we've expanded our partnerships, and I remember that discussion with you, uh, and, and you're spot on, I remember thinking, you know, there's, there's, as we've gotten more, as we've acquired more data, and as we built more reports based on early feedback, we've realized, oh, now it serves this area, now it can serve this area, and it's all kind of integrated together. And so um, that was a bit of a springboard for us. We, we now work with about 30 of the largest sports marketing agencies. Um, we work with, you know, vendors, facilitators, consultants that are in the space. And, um, and as you know, everybody sort of has a different way in which they might be serving the industry or need data within the industry. And so we've oftentimes used the early feedback from those organizations to say, oh, could you do this? Could you do that? We obviously have to make sure that it's kind of strategic to our overall strategy and goals because we get a million ideas on things we could do. But in many cases, it allows us to sort of um, create new products, new reports, new services that may serve you, but it can serve, you know, 50 other uh, entities out there in different ways. And, you know, even to this day, as we look at our brand partners, we're discovering ways in which we never thought that the platform could serve people. So as an example, we work with, um, you know, some of the biggest uh, CPG companies in, in sponsorship and in the world. And mm-hmm. uh, I can remember a conversation where they wanted to use the platform to see what, what Kroger did. And um, and what Publix does from a sponsorship perspective, and you know they're in the they're in the buy side, so it was kind of interesting to see that. But the reason was because they wanted to see how does their asset mix, how do we complement their asset mix with our asset mix so that we can sell through more into their stores? Where do we have an opportunity to do more business from that perspective? Uh, and we've had some B two B technology companies that are traditional sponsors that have wanted to leverage our platform to find out if, if I'm gonna work with this team, what other brand partners do they have that I could potentially sell through because they can facilitate introductions once we have a relationship with them. So we're starting to find all these other use cases from just a business partnership perspective that really weren't, wasn't part of the original intention of the platform, but has ultimately become pretty critical for a lot of our partners. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, Bob, success is always a straight line. You know that, right? You yes, know, so it's yes. just, you it know, easy. it's completely laid out there for you. You never know. <laughs> it was so easy. I just had to follow the instructions and uh, <laughs> right. it worked perfectly. Yeah. Um, so that that's, well, that's great. And, and I'm thrilled to hear that. And, um, you know, I, I continue to wish you success in, in sort of the, um, you know, supplemental partners, if you will. And uh, one of the things that you just uh, referenced right now was uh, asset mix, right? And I think that was what uh, really stood out for me in terms of going onto the platform and understanding that, you know, you're going to have a whole subset of individuals that are focused in, you mentioned dashboards or billboard rights or traditional out of home or print media and all of that. But when it comes to a company like ours, where concourse activation is really the name of our game, uh, I was so impressed to see um, actual photos of different engagements throughout the country in, you know, over hundreds of sports stadiums. So you had mentioned these uh, data scouts. How in the world were you able to um, compile all of these photos and videos of these concourse activations across the country, you know, what was your strategy there? 
Well, before I, I share that, the motivation behind that was when I was um, when I was with the the Dolphins, we would have away game trips, and we would kind of divvy those up who would go to which away games. And my former boss, now Chief Revenue Officer of the Chargers, Jim Rushton, would um, would have us, or he would really he led by doing it himself. But then we started to do it as well. He would go to an away game stadium. And he would walk around the concourse everywhere and, and try to actually capture as much imagery and unique sort of activations that were taking place. And in our sales meetings that next week, he would actually run through uh, best practices in a PowerPoint presentation. And it was great because you would, you know, I had some of these venues I'd never been to before. So you really got a feel for, oh, here's how another team does it. Because these are things that you don't see on TV um, that, that, that live there, um, you know, club level entitlements and the activations, the signage, all of that. And so we would look at that and, and we would do that every week. And I said to myself at the time, you know, it'd be great if we could just like get this for every venue instantly. Um, how, how amazing would that be? How insightful, how much smarter would we be by being able to actually fully understand these partnerships? Um, so that, that sort of was always in the back of my mind. Um, and, you know, as we looked at how do we start a company you know, how do we um, begin to own a, a segment? I remember reading uh, Peter Thiel's book, Zero to One, um, many years ago when it, when it came out. And it talks about sort of how monopolies are formed and um, how do you really differentiate yourself in markets that are, you know, uh, large addressable markets uh, to be in. And one of the sort of lessons within that book is, you know, generally speaking, taking on hard problems is, is just as easy or just as hard as taking on easy problems that people think about. Um, in fact, it's probably easier because most people don't think about like how to solve that problem. So it might actually be easier than you think. And so when I started to think about our industry and the challenge of, you know, people just don't have information, like real good information on how these things exist and, you know, what, what everybody does, I started to think, well, why is that? And, you know, hey, how would you ever be able to get all of this stuff unless the teams like gave it to you? And how would you ever convince them to do that? And so as I started to think about that, I thought, you know, in theory, if you could go to every event, you could get this information um, in theory, but that would be a ton of people. And, you know, <laughs> sure. they're, they're, you know, that'd be extremely costly. But as I thought about that problem, I thought about um, the fact that our industry has seen an explosion in sports management programs um, and, and master's degree programs for uh, sports over the last 10 years. I think about 12, 13 years ago, I think there was like four or five real programs out there that sort of served that space. And today, or you know, this year, I happen to look at the Sports Business Journal and I think there were like over 500 schools listed that had programs in this space, probably due in part to things like Moneyball and obviously technology. And I think the industry is opening up to bringing people in from the outside as well. So they're not making that many more teams, yet there's so many programs that are sort of serving this space. At the same time, most people who enter in from an internship perspective into sports and entertainment, oftentimes, at least in sports, tend to be directed into the, the ticket sales, hospitality side of things, just because they need volume and they, they need people in that space. Um, and so I looked at sort of sponsorship was sort of where, you know, I think people th thought like the wizards were, you know, like, I don't know what they do and, and there's only a few of them and they usually, uh, you know, the successful ones are, are pretty well compensated. 
And I thought about the fact that a lot of people don't know how sponsorship works and what assets are. Like it's not something that's taught in school and it's, and it's very hard to really comprehend the diversity of, of what can be bought and sold within these agreements. And so my thinking was, if we could sort of pull back the, the curtain and start to introduce the concept of sponsorship and all of the detail and the building blocks that you would need and want to know for you to be able to sort of enter into that space, we could essentially um, uh, bring value to people by having them go to these events and really learn by getting into the granularity of, of studying like minute details of like what beer is poured in this stadium and what food products and what signs and what kind of signs and yep. what sort of entitlements. And so we went through a whole program where we developed a, a training program, almost like a condensed uh, masters in sponsorship inventory and was able to form partnerships with universities across the country that became feeder systems for us and recruits sort of from across the country to provide a really experiential uh, opportunity for people, but also um, layered in with training and testing and watching videos and studying almost like a Khan Academy would, would sort of go into these different subjects and do it for free so that people could learn about that, get sent to games, go. And this is actually where, when we, when we tell teams about this, they're like, oh my gosh, I wish I could have done this when I was in school. Can I, can I do it now? <laughs> can you send me to games? Um, but it allowed us to sort of provide value on one end but through that process also collect a lot of offline information. And that's kind of how we started it. I mean, we started with like spreadsheets and then that evolved to building mobile technology. And um, because we have such a volume of people that are involved, they've been really redirected to primarily all offline and really, really hard to get pieces of information while at the same time learning about the industry. And so we kind of collect that information at scale through that process um, and sort of piece that all together again. Yeah, it's uh, it's really funny to hear that in terms of the strategy, because that's, uh, you know, back in the early days and we talk about lead list and trying to capture as much information uh, during any activation install. It was a mandate of ours that we would do the, the same thing, walk the concourse, not only see what was going on, but just figure out what brands were there. Right. You know, because you do have a lot of these regional um uh, brands within municipalities or cities that, you know, you may not know that they had a relationship with a particular team. So we, we deployed a very, very similar strategy uh, in, in terms of trying to find opportunity ourselves. And so, you know, being able to kind of uh, log in and have that, <laughs> you know, right in front of your computer screen, right in front of your eyes on the computer screen was, is, it was really um, uh, an awakening for us in particular. And it's funny yeah. that you, we sort of we sort of stole that from if you're familiar with captchas and the story of the captcha or recaptcha, which you know you yep. you fill out whenever you have to log in, and you know that problem that that service was originally built to solve you know bots creating email addresses, uh, which was a really hard thing for um, technology companies to uh, to stop from happening. But as that evolved, um, they basically used the lettering that you see now gets pulled in from you know, newspaper clippings from the New York Times in the 1850s and Google Maps, because I yep. think Google is a uh, CAPTCHA, if I'm not mistaken now. So you're basically crowdsourcing information on behalf of Google so that all of this offline data is now mapped and stored in the system, while at the same time providing security. So I, I love the elegant solution of, of solving one problem, yeah. 
while directly solving another problem, sure. kind of in this space of like, how do we educate the industry while also essentially mapping every piece of information at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you had mentioned Jim Rushton as uh, a former colleague or boss. I, I actually have a pretty funny anecdote with, with Jim. So early, early days with uh, maybe a year or two, as he settled in with the chargers, uh, he and I, we connected uh, during a road trip, a sales business trip. Um, you know, we went to the facility. I think they were, you know, they were delivering furniture. I mean, in Costa Mesa, like <laughs> you know, when the chargers, had just come up and, uh, you know, they were brand new and, uh, you could tell that, you know, steam was coming out of his ears, trying to, you know, move a franchise into a new city, uh, capture new fans and, you know, listening to all the challenges. And so obviously we both realized that we weren't going to be able to accomplish that in the 30 minutes that we had, uh, for that day. So he had offered, um, us to come back out during the NFL season, uh, to, to experience a game at StubHub and to kind of survey the area and come up with some ideas and suggestions from an activation standpoint and then also, you know, a level of data capture, you know, trying to use technology as a great attraction to exchange information between fans, right, and, and user information. And so uh, it happened to be by coincidence, you know, I'm here based in Philadelphia and I'm a diehard Eagles fan. It's no surprise or secret there, but it happened. It may have been strategic on the game that I picked <laughs> to go to attend a Chargers game was against the Eagles, right? And so uh, I go out uh, on the weekend and, uh, you know, fly out there and so meet with Jim. And he puts me in touch with, at that time, the team was working with uh, a handful of consultants, both on the marketing side and, you know, obviously everyone trying to build a new franchise, essentially. And so he's sort of uh, essentially passed me off, not passed me off, but, you know, led me to work with one of their consultants to kind of really understand what the game day experience was like and what's some of the challenges so what's an average length of a football game four hours three hours four hours three and a half three and a half hours so we got there probably two hours before a game this consultant we surveyed the entire stadium um bird dogged me the entire time did not leave my side we, we were taking notes i mean it was a working session right the game starts, did not leave my side, was talking about what was happening in this section, and, and I'm just taking notes. Now, as a sports fan, I was dying on the inside, frankly, just because, you know, it was a great game. I, you know, it was a great, and I could not show, I'm a, uh, you know, obviously a professional here. We love all of our clients, and I show no bias. Um, but it was so funny because I endured about six hours of watching this game, being a part of this uh, uh, stadium, and just, you know, taking fandom away from uh, our, our work. <laughs> so that, that is my one and only Jim Rushton story. Yeah, games can uh, working for a team can sterilize that experience pretty quickly. I, I can like, I think I can count on one hand the number of like moments and plays that I was able to really enjoy uh, in five years or five seasons with the Dolphins. Yeah, uh, or not enjoy because I remember being there when Tim Tebow had his comeback in like <laughs> the last four minutes and beat us. So it's probably the one that uh, that is in my in my brain, uh, you know, the most. But uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely different than a lot of people perceive it to be on a game day. And oh, for you know, sure. it's different than other sports, having been in the NBA and the NHL, uh, and certainly baseball to the extreme, there's just so many more opportunities to network. And so with football, it, it does force you to 
like, how do I maximize every minute of this game day? Because you only have essentially, you know, call it six hours multiplied times eight, you know, you have 48 hours uh, to, you know, over the course of a four month period to really get as much as you can out of that. Uh, and it's probably not going to be watching games. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. So, uh, as, as we're kind of winding down here in our time, Bob, and, uh, this has been great. And thank you again so much for, for being on the show here. Um, you know, given the state of the environment now, we're still in the midst of this epidemic and, uh, sports are finally just coming back to the airwaves, uh, fanless, Tell us a little bit of the shift in communication, the needs and and sort of the goals of and the challenges, quite honestly, between sponsorship and sports teams, knowing that there are no consumers physically at these venues. Um, I'd imagine TV presence is is a major driving force right now. But, you know, tell give us a little bit of insight as to, um, you know, what you're hearing on the ground and or, you know, what are some of the unique challenges and and resolutions, frankly, uh, in this environment? I think the environment has definitely forced people to be more communicative. And, you know, obviously being home is is another reason uh, for that. But we've never seen such a high volume of communication and meetings taking place, both that we've heard from uh, teams and brands, as well as sort of people. I think when this all happened, they were sort of at a loss of like, what's happening? What do we do? How do we react to this? Should we wait? Should we just sit back? Should we be proactive? And that forced many people to start to really talk to others about this and ask them, what are they doing now? You know, nobody really knows. So I think everybody's sort of saying, here's what we're doing to address it. And they're sort of learning at the same time, which I think is definitely helpful in the industry because you wouldn't normally have that level of communication as well as I think when you look at the, from a brand to a team, one of the things that we've seen is, as being consistent is, you know, not necessarily about, um, you know, negotiation or, uh, you know, almost like a mutual respect for the challenges that are taking place and the things that can't be controlled on either side. And just an understanding of how do we come out of this together and how do we help each other, sure. which um, really does kind of force a more altruistic way of thinking about partnership in mm-hmm. these times. And you don't realize how important your partners are on both sides um, until you go through these things. And I think it's a great testament to um, these, what these relationships are or are not um, and how people react to that. Um, with all that being said, people are now looking at how do we take data and information to just be smarter of how we navigate this. So we've seen a, I think a couple things happen on the on the partnership side, there's been an absolute thirst for understanding who can we talk to and engage for partnerships, and um, you know what categories do we need to be looking at that maybe others aren't thinking about as well. You know, there's there's the usual suspects that everybody sort of you know starts to go to, and you know early on it was actually you know like cleaning supplies. We've actually seen some partnerships even as as of this week. Uh, that are going to be launching for you know some NFL teams that have come uh, because of that, but it's it's going deeper than that. And normally on the on the sales and partnership side, most people spend the majority of their time in sort of what we would call the top ten, top forty categories of business that they'll get their league reports and see you know this is this is who we should be working with. 
that's flipped where now uh, the majority of people's time are sort of on those tertiary categories and brands that um, might be able to capitalize on entering this space during this sort of uncertain time because they have an opportunity to gain a share of voice, potentially gain uh, signage, uh, you know, in the NFL and the lower stadium seats, you know, that are going to be tarped and things like that based on, you know, kind of what's available. So we've seen a bit of that as well with these new entrants into the space. From the brand's perspective, we've seen everything from we need to understand our share of voice and how that might shift with additional signage that's being introduced. Will that devalue what we currently have? Additional signage only has so much of an incremental value to us and our current partnerships. So what else is being done to offset that? Because if you own a, a tremendous amount of signage in a lot of professional ballparks, um, having two extra signs, five extra signs, whatever it might be, is, is not the value that you know, it would be if, if it was a brand that had no signage. You know, there's not going to be the lift there. And so how do you work with your partners or how do you demand from your partners um, new and different assets and really new and different creative ways to engage um, you know, the consumers and relying both on the teams, but also on your internal marketing departments to develop some of these things like you've seen with uh, Buffalo Wild Wings bringing uh, some of the concessionaires around to their restaurants, I think this week. So thinking of different ways it's going to create buzz and interest um, during this time period is, has been pretty critical. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we can echo that to a degree, you know, on, in, in terms of the uh, the chronology of this uh, transformation of what the world is right now. I, I remember early on back in March and April, we were just, you know, getting on the phones with our clients and our prospects and, you know, anyone within our network just to talk, as you had mentioned, you know, just the, the, the power of communicating, you know, what was going on and, you know, everyone had an opinion and a forecast of, you know, what was going to happen and, and really not knowing. And so it was important for us to kind of get out there, uh, get in front of, um, you know, our client base to say, you know what, we do have a stack of IP that traditionally has been tactical or on concourse, um, but let's convert that to a digital asset and, you know, how we can resonate your brand, you know, to the fans, you know, knowing that they're they're at home and what have you. So, um, you know, I, 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 I definitely have seen the sort of community uh, nature in this. And I think, uh, you know, despite what the general public may think about sports and entertainment, uh, the longer you're in it, you realize how much of an incestuous small circle it really is. And so, you know, our message was to really try to, you know, connect with our community as well as provide value in any which way as possible, whether that was selling a product or just talking about the future. Um, you know, we, we certainly tried to do that. So, um, so very enlightening here, Bob. So listen, uh, we are out of time, unfortunately. We probably could have gone on uh, much longer, but why don't we please tell us, tell our listeners where to find you, um, your, your contacts, and um, any parting messages that you'd like to uh, share with us. Yeah, the easiest way to find us, sponsorunited.com, one word, S-P-O-N-S-O-R-U-N-I-T-E-D.com, uh, or on LinkedIn. We're pretty active. We, we like to take a lot of the data that we're capturing and, and publish uh, different pieces of information pretty consistently every week. So follow us on LinkedIn as well. Um, yeah. That's probably the easiest way to get us. All right. Sounds good. Okay. This is James Julio with the MVP podcast. Thanks for listening. And until next time.